My name is Skip Sims, Senior Vice President of Ann Arbor Spark. I also am the managing member of the Michigan Angel Fund and member of the Michigan Angel Community. It Takes Money is a series of podcasts featuring angel investors and experts who offer insight on how to invest in startups. In these podcasts, we'll discuss the many aspects of angel investing and why they're choosing to invest in Michigan. Hello again, everybody. I am thrilled to have today on today's podcast a good friend for about 20 years now, believe it or not, Tom, uh, Tom Kinnear, who is a um, uh, still a professor at the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business. Uh, previous titles included the Eugene Applebaum Professor of Entrepreneurial Studies. He was a co-founder, the first executive director of the Zell Lurie Institute at the Ross School. He's currently the D. Maynard Phelps, well, he's the D. Maynard Phelps Professor Business Emeritus, as you're kind of quasi uh, winding down. You're still teaching, I know. Uh, I have one class in commercialization of, for startups. So. Yeah, and uh, practically all your classes are MBA uh, level Correct. studies. So. For one reason or another, they wouldn't let me near the undergraduates for 40 years. Well, I know why, but we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> uh, Tom has Thanks. been a longtime angel. Uh, Tom, for your information, I've already uh, had Walt Young on for uh, a previous podcast. That was a uh, co-investor in many things. Exactly. And I described him uh, going in as a super angel. And I think you fall into that category. Again, my definition of a super angel is you've invested in a lot of companies and a lot of money. Uh, those two things. And uh, over Walt the years, is probably hyper super and I'm just kind of super sliding in under him. Uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> well, I've done this for a long time. Uh, exactly. He asked me, uh, I went back and looked It's over 30 years now. Wow. And uh, 25 to 30 companies directly I've invested in and uh, um, another probably 50 or 60 indirectly through various funds that I was part of. Yeah. Michigan wow. Angel is one of them. Well, um, you're an active angel investor, but you have also, like you said, been uh, active in the venture world as well, a, a venture investor through venture funds. Um, and I want to put all that into, uh, it's all related in terms of your, you invest in startups, you invest in early stage companies, those seed rounds, those A rounds, sometimes a B round. Uh, sometimes a convertible debt round really early and sometimes late because we're desperate yeah. and sometimes uh, you know uh, an h round <laughs> they keep going sometimes and sometimes um, a write-off round there you go uh, unfortunately there are those but you plan for that up front you kind of look at uh, the portfolio your your investments as a portfolio not well, one-offs a very wise person uh, basically told me taught me a long time ago uh um, this money you invest is money you can afford to lose. Absolutely, yeah. You don't expect to, and in the long run, probably you won't. But uh, you gotta, you're gonna have ups and downs. Well, one of the things you told me many years ago that I uh, repeat often, and that is, uh, you know, mentally, you know, when you write that check and make that investment, you kind of write it off, um, and then you can sleep better at night. And uh, I keep good accounting records, but I don't put it on a balance sheet anywhere. 
Yeah. Is that maybe that's an oxymoron there? A good right. accountant would always have a balance sheet, but psychologically, I think that's a very good thing to do to know uh, that the risks and uh, uh, you just, um, yeah. as you said, sleep better. Yeah. So, you know, you, the classes you teach have taught over the years have pretty much zeroed in on, on marketing and commercialization. Um, I don't have too many people that kind of, that's, that's their expertise or uh, that's what they really focus on. And, and what I enjoy relative to your involvement with the Michigan Angel Fund and on our screening committee, um, you always ask the marketing questions. You always ask the commercialization questions. How are you gonna make money? Uh, seems to be one of your favorite questions. Can you expand on that? Sure. I mean, I think you have to, if you're an angel, no matter what your fundamental deep background is, you have to be conversant in all aspects, the financing structures and the technology and all that. But my experience is, and it's backed up by studies that most of these startups fail, not on the tech, but on their incapacity to commercialize well. Uh, uh, how are they going to uh, define customer value? in some very disciplined way. How are they gonna do customer, if you like the jargon of the day, discovery, uh, <clears throat> which is uh, to a marketing person, second nature. Uh, how are they going to get to the market? Um, you, you, uh, you know, the, the Sims Kinnear firm knocking on the door of some large corporation probably gets us thrown out of the lobby. So what partnerships are you going to structure to uh, it goes under the rubric of business development, but what kind of partnerships you have to get in the door to get either selling partnerships or implementation partnerships or introduction partnerships. How do they look? And uh, some sort of recognition about how important they are and how difficult it is to structure them. The, uh, the temporal nature of that is very long. And even if you have the partnerships, how are you going to motivate the partner to actually uh, deliver on the partnership? All, all those kinds of dynamics. The other part of it is we cycle back to the, uh, uh, how are you going to get there? Is it your sales force? And what is your sales force going to do? We, we often confront uh, a forecast, a very large hockey stick, upward pointing forecast. And then you ask the basic question, well, how many customers is that? I mean, it's a multiple of some very large number, like we're going to get 5% of 5 billion. It doesn't really tell you anything, except they think it's large, but how are you going to get that 5%? How many customers is that? How much will each customer buy? How many salespeople do you need to get those customers? And to see if, uh, if that's been thought through really very well. And in a lot of cases, it's not thought through very well at all. Um, if you allow me to mention names, uh, when we put Acura was put together by Jen Baird and uh, Colin Rich, and I was involved on the board, uh, the hiring of Jack Ball, who uh, knew how to do all those things. I mean, that was a key for our direct sales of how to make that work and uh, uh, the wisdom to hire someone of that quality and, and having that person allowed to implement is day and night from what we see in a lot of proposals that we get. I mean, it's People are bringing you their gifts, their ideas of their wonderful firm, and you want to treat it with respect, but they also need to be often better prepared for the kinds of questions we're talking about now. 
What's the customer value? How are you going to get there? How many do you need? What's the time frame for getting them? What are the partnerships to get there? There's just a whole series of questions that go with that. And as I, as I like to tell my students, uh, if you haven't done that work and you're not getting the sales, you might as well forget about raising capital because nobody's interested in you if you can't commercialize. Uh, so, I mean, they're intertwined, but, uh, and I love the venture capital and the angel investing part of it, the, all those dynamics. But in the end, it's all about, uh, can you commercialize? And my personal preference is for what in the jargon is now referred to as a blue ocean play, uh, which used to be called in back when a, a, a white space play, which meaning that there's, it's fundamentally the development of a new market. You're, you're not confronting very large, uh, well-established, mean competitors waiting for you. Uh, but the risk of those is that the market never develops. So if I can go back to a brilliant entrepreneur like Hal Davis starting a bill payment on the internet dynamics, presentment and payment, uh, having everybody on the planet tell them nobody would ever pay a bill on the internet, uh, but nobody, because nobody had ever done it. Or if you go back to uh, Accurate even again to mention it, nobody had ever done desktop flow cytometry. It's, so it's new, you're not trying to displace very large competitors and uh, and what you want them to do is wake up one day and say oh there actually is a market there this great firm just made it work uh, here's a significant amount of money we'll buy you out or continue uh, if, if you're like a even a duo which uh, Doug Song's company uh, uh, with it being a unicorn got itself up to a very high high valuation it probably could have gone IPO and done things but decided to sell for a very large number it's uh, and it's all built around the fact that they their market acceptance was very high as was Accuries, as was bluegill and uh, made people pay attention in a market where uh, nobody had ever done it before so I, you know, I, I personally like those kinds of play, although, you know, a really good implementation play doing something better than someone else when they're established is still a good play and it's worthy of looking at, but it's harder. Yeah, it is. And, you know, one of the things that we're also in common with all of the companies you just mentioned and the, and the people you mentioned, uh, and I, interestingly enough, I just had this conversation just yesterday with a guy uh, talking about uh, companies that don't have a team. Quite often, uh, you know, it's one person, two people uh, very early that are looking to raise capital. Um, you need more than two people to build a company. And you need a person who is focused on getting to market and selling. Uh, at what point does a founder uh, need to think about that employee when do they need to bring that that uh, that employee that co-founder if you will or, or add as a co-founder that sales marketing person yeah the um well it's it varies if it's an extremely high tech company like it's a, a drug bio therapeutic uh, the marketing issues are deferred for a very long time you've got to break the code on that first uh, but generally speaking, uh, you have your thumb on uh, the broader issue of management. The management team is part of whether or not you make it. Uh, I always say if a CEO of a startup cannot sell, A, they got to sell other employees to come and work for them, or he or she has to sell 
the early customers, they have to sell to the financing people like Michigan Angel Fund or a VC firm. Uh, that skill must be resident within either the CEO or the CEO's partner, direct partner. So you need that person in you or standing next to you all the way through. Now I've seen it both ways where the CEO could sell and then needed help with the finance and the administrative structures and all the other stuff. And the opposite where you have a very, very competent technological person who um, the selling slash marketing slash partnership side is kind of beyond their expertise. And, and you need that right away. You know, I would say that generally speaking, um, pretty quickly you need a team that is acceptable to the funders. I think basically at MAF, we probably wouldn't invest in someone by themselves. No, we didn't have a team of, of competencies that we were interested in. Uh, even in the days when uh, the early investors in Acury, for example, there was no product. We, it was an idea and it was all laid out on a piece of cardboard and some plastic and other things. But they had great CEO, great technical people, and they had uh, competent uh, financial. And uh, we could see where it was going to go. And then you add it. Uh, Jack came in probably when we had just before uh, the first, uh, let me think, uh, first uh, commercial sales were about to happen. We, we had a product at that point. We needed, mm -hmm. we needed more. Yeah. But uh, the CEO in that case and in other cases of a fintech company I'm involved with now, the CEO is excellent at selling. And in the early phases, if you can't sell people, customers, I think you've got a big problem. I mean, I always tell people to look in the mirror. It's the old analogy of the, the horse, the race, and the jockey. And I always uh, allude to a very uh, fun movie called Secretariat, where uh, the greatest horse ever in an early race loses. And the trainer's comment was the jockey wasn't good enough to handle this great horse. And mm -hmm. so most starting CEOs don't, are not there at the exit. They might have other roles, some can pull it off, but the expectation would be that uh, defining the right roles will be something that uh, needs to be done and the hiring of the right skill sets. That doesn't mean the marketing person is gonna run the company in any stretch or form. It's a question of what fits for that particular company at that point in time. But I've seen more, more companies shipwreck on this issue you're talking about than probably anything else that they don't get the right team together. and. Uh, you know, there's many friendships have fractured over these issues too. Oh, yeah. If you two friends start a uh, yeah. company and uh, they don't realize it's a company and friendship is a separate issue, yeah. you want to be friends even if it doesn't work. Well, I'm not. We're not going to go there, but just to throw in at that to make that point, uh, we encourage partnership agreements early on because uh, right. friends, you, you do lose. Person you want the stock all alloc founding stock all allocated. It's not something you sort out later. Yeah, uh, right, right. Uh, but, and, uh, from the point of view of the marketing and sales, uh, if the product is ready uh, to get to market, you would say, oh, perfect. But you actually need to do it before that because to customer discovery and understanding of what the needs are and the value you're creating uh, should be part of what forms the product. Good point. With these, with these tech companies, uh, there's uh, often a capacity to take the product in many, many, many different directions. Yeah. A class of very successful Ann Arbor firm, Handy Lab, uh, had that in spades. They, there were seven or eight vertical markets that were 
applicable to the technology that they had. And the question was, where do you go? And mm -hmm. it took a great CEO, uh, Jeff Williams, to kind of sort that out along with uh, Sindhu and Handy. Uh, mm -hmm. But Jeff uh, was key because they were pretty fractured before he arrived in terms of. So as you build that initial team of minimum, probably of three or four of your management team, there needs to be three or four different skill sets that meld. And yeah. to your point, I like the point you just made. That salesperson, if you will, we'll call it the, the salesperson, uh, critical up front so that the technical people aren't creating something that people don't want. <laughs> They're creating something that people will in fact buy. That's uh, pretty classic. Uh, what, you, what ends up happening, and we were talking about as if it's one person to begin with, but as the company grows, it really fractures into or splits into multiple people. You end up with a marketing person because you have marketing, communications, mm -hmm. all sorts of other issues, especially with web dynamics these days. You, you have partnership, uh, which we might call biz develop, but it's basically a marketing function. And you have the sales all are present in uh, maybe in three people, maybe in one person. Early on, they're all the CEOs doing them all. He or she has to do that. But as you grow the business, and then one of the things I think we would look at is in investing is does, does the CEO understand how that's going to evolve over time and have a good understanding of the role that person will play. Uh, yeah. the, time, the team that develops forward, because we're, you know, we're not looking at one-year horizons. We're looking at three, four, or five-year horizons and want to have a sense that that market will evolve because of the actions of this firm and the talent of the people that you put mm -hmm. together to do it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's you know, it's in some sense uh, not, a, not the most pleasant thing to be looking and listening to somebody pitch and realize uh, you can't invest in that person because you don't think they can do it. And you yeah. can be wrong. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's not a, not here's a bunch of money because we like you phenomenon. Right. Well, um, this has all been a very good lesson, I think, uh, for particularly for entrepreneurs who hopefully have tuned in and, and uh, listened with both ears, uh, but also for investors, for investors to be thinking about as they're analyzing and deciding whether or not to invest in a particular company uh, and investing in the company not just a person um right. so well, you want uh, the idea to be good you want the market to be one that will evolve in a way that you can take advantage of and you want the team to be one that can work i mean there's mm -hmm. a lot of people now i mean I, I was looking at the statistics now there's something like 1300 angels investors now in michigan and uh, what are there 10 angel groups and 26 venture capital funds uh, i remember first <laughs> mocking around in this it was pretty lonely. <laughs> uh, I can remember. Skip, we, ran, we ran one of the early ones for Ralph Wilson Enterprises, right? You were in charge of his uh, venture yeah. arm. And he was well, when we started that, him. yeah, when we started that effort in late 1999, um, I, was, I was shocked when I had to go back to my partner and boss and say, you know, I think I have plowed the Michigan field for venture capital. It only took me a day. Uh, surely there's more here that I just can't find, which was not true. I mean, I had plowed it all in a day. So this, you, you gave me a great segue, Tom, to, to the next thing I'd like to talk about. 
You've been investing now for nearly 30 years as an angel and a, and a limited partner in VC firms and as an advisor, et cetera. You were also the chair of the uh, Venture Michigan Fund, which was created in 2006, 2007 to, to bolster and really get the venture industry uh, ramped up. And so with that experience, tell me about your assessment of our ecosystem. How does the state of Michigan stack uh, up I, in your opinion? I have to smile because uh, the first chair of the board was the uh, state treasurer at the time. Mm -hmm. And he laughed. Uh, uh, I mean, who's appointed that? There's an appointment by the legislature, by the House, by the Senate, by the governor. Uh, I think maybe two by the governor. And then Venture, Michigan Venture Capital Association uh, has one appointment. And I was that person. I was representing that. It's actually written into the law. Uh, when the state treasurer stepped down in their lack of wisdom or wisdom, I was named chair and I was chair for 13 years <laughs> until I said, I think maybe you get somebody who's a little younger, <laughs> but I'm still on that board uh, for now. Uh, and uh, I would, when we announced it, uh, my comment at the time was we could have put everybody who was involved in this industry in a medium-sized closet um, uh, there were there were firms, uh, EDF and uh, Arboretum was getting going independent of Venture Michigan. There were uh, early days of RPM getting started. There, there were firms around, but I was uh, check the statistics in the in the two Venture Michigan funds that we have 11 VC firms in one and 10 in the other. It's a fund of funds. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, so the dynamic of now there's 20, 20 VC firms in the state all by California standards small, but by what we had around here, I think the largest now is about 280 million in Arboretum 5. Uh, we have an, and six out-of-state firms that are, operate here significantly. And uh, basically with the overlaps taken aside, about 15 of those have Venture Michigan fund money of the, the sets in state and those that operate here. Uh, and uh, it's just become now, uh, what is it, 80 professionals now, VC professionals operating in the state of Michigan. There are probably five in where this got going in the days when you got started. So maybe it was six because we forgot yeah, to count you. Weren't many. <laughs> uh, um, and, and then you have, uh, I think there are now five corporate uh, VC funds with, you know, with Dow and General Motors and Kelly and Spectrum Health. And uh, I think I left one out. Um, uh, which was, there was a little dabbling by firms back then, but not much. So it's way better than it used to be. I mean, way better. Um, uh, the legislature uh, tends not to understand what Venture Michigan is, and it was funded in a very funky way by loans, because at the time the state was pretty broke. Uh, so we're working through all of that still. But uh, it, it, it has helped spawn an industry. Of maybe it would have spawned lesser, but it's basically pump priming. Uh, it's not supposed to be there to carry all the firms. So a great example would be Arboretum, which got some early money from us and from other places. But Arboretum doesn't need a dime of Venture Michigan money going forward. They're so successful. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and we hope that that would happen with other ones too. I have to have a little asterisk side here. Uh, uh, Venture Michigan is, is a significant funder in flagship ventures, which created Moderna vaccine. Moderna is a 
one of our companies. Yep. Uh, that's not a Michigan company, but uh, we invested in a fund that was flagship that was operating in Michigan that it part of its portfolio, we own part of their whole portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. But from the point of view of the state, uh, the number of angel funds, uh, the number of VC funds, the amount of money is dramatically better than when you and I got sort of mucking around in this 15, 20 years ago and for VC and you know, even the angel dynamic is different. But, but we're not, the, where do we sit in the context? We sit uh, upper, probably uh, the upper half of the, of the second third of the firm of the VC mm -hmm. states. <clears throat> um, it's kind of California, Boston, Massachusetts, yeah. and then the rest of us, and we're pretty good within the rest of us, quote unquote, the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, it's still not well understood within the state. Uh, my friend Dave Brophy always had a, a comment, which was the, the auto industry is successful. We all tend to forget about uh, this diversification. I mean, the University of Michigan is the largest receiver of NIH and National Science Foundation grants of any other university in the country, yeah, private or public. Uh, only Johns Hopkins has more, Beyond and that's the, that's the National Physics Lab, the only thing the reason they're ahead. Yep. So we have the research here, we have it. Right. What we lack, it still is, if you started, uh, if you look at it, a very successful, Esperion II started by um, Tim Malavin and Roger Newton, uh, they had to raise uh, monies that would went way beyond the capability around here, but they were able to do it because they had something significant going on with their, mm -hmm. uh, their modern statin light drug. But so, and that's one of the things that the firms that are involved with uh, Venture Michigan, the leverage is about six to seven to one for every dime of their money spent into Michigan. There's about six to $7 by other firms syndicating with them. Yep. And that's the, and that's what I think we all have to understand is that VC firms syndicate deals. Yep. Uh, just as angels. That's, that's I was going to say, uh, just as angels are now, we've learned to do. And if I go back to Accury, we had probably uh, five angel funds in Zach, uh, uh, Accury. Uh, Zachary's my grandson. <laughs> in, in, in Accury. Uh, and uh, there's still some of that goes on. I mean, we in MAF, we look at who else is involved. And uh, we, I know there's probably, in, if we look at, uh, for example, our Epsilon deal in MAF, there's probably three other angel groups within that at yeah. the moment still. So talk about briefly the relationship between angels and VCs and how that has changed over the past 15, 20 years. <laughs> well, um, I think what you find now is a lot of the angels are, uh, part of the Michigan Venture Capital Association. So if you look at the MBCA's annual report, they will also now, starting a few years ago, listing the angel groups and, and tracking the angel investing. And I think they were pretty, quite separate before they always thought of themselves as unrelated. And I think with what's happened to venture, not just in Michigan, but nationally, is it's gone, it's gone uh, downstream. I never get my upstreams and downstream. Uh, they wanted, there's a lot of uh, VCs now that really want it de-risked a lot more than maybe 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you, you will not find, rarely find a VC that will invest in a seed round uh, and, yeah. uh, or maybe even the first A round. But what they want is if it de-risked enough, and I probably shouldn't mention names on this one because there's some that are going on right now and 
the angels carried it to a certain point and then the VCs came in and I can, I don't, uh, there's probably two and I know of right now that that's just what has happened within the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, we would be delighted in MAF to have a, a VC come in and uh, carry it over the threshold where without squeezing us to zero, of course. <laughs> um, well, that that well, gets I back think, to kind of playing nice. Do they play nice together? I think, there, I think there's more of a handoff going on here than there used to be. And also uh, the two groups, I think, know each other now. I mean, they're, they're yeah. personally, they know the people. But uh, but there are some differences still, too, because I think the uh, angel groups might do a deal where the market will be more moderate-sized. It looks like a good deal. It'll have a good exit. It fits within the dynamics, but it's not large enough for, for a VC firm with significant capital at play to go back to their uh, investors and say they had hit a home run with a you yeah. know, five, six, seven X deal, 10 X deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the angels would be satisfied with less than that. But if your next whole fund depends upon the IRR of your current fund, you really have to look for bigger, bigger market deals. So I think... Uh, there's probably a few things in the MAF portfolio <clears throat> that will uh, maybe a smaller VC fund might come into, but some of the more successful larger funds would just find it all just a little too small for their taste. Well, he, they would still talk point. to us. Yeah, your venture funds fall into <clears throat> three categories, but basically the big ones and then the, the smaller micro VCs. And the micro VCs very much have the same kind of expectations, uh, much more alignment in their thinking probably with, with angel groups uh, because they don't have, you know, those huge multi-million dollar checks that they can write. Uh, right. uh, yeah, so but it's quite uh, common now, I think, uh, you know, Skip, you and, you know, talk personally here, you and I both know most of the VCs in the state of Michigan. Yeah. And if we thought we had something great coming out of either Ann Arbor Angels or, uh, you know, Grand Angels or Michigan Angel Fund, uh, we wouldn't hesitate to, and the call would be received. Doesn't mean they would invest, right. they would listen. And yep. um, I don't think there were enough angels around prior prior uh, to make that happen. After all, some of my early, quote unquote, really good outcomes in direct angel investings, every VC in Michigan who was here at the time turned them down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they we just didn't have a mature enough industry at the time, or they were just a little crazy. And the, the crazies from Boston and California were much more willing to take a risk. Yeah, now I think that's really changed now. I think you know, family offices have, have become well. The, my other note here to myself too. was don't forget family offices because they are now part of they could be a significant amount. I mean, uh, Celsi, which just had a very successful exit, which is um. Uh, Handy's company uh, that he started with his wife uh, and um, it's funding for the year before it big round before it uh, got uh, acquired uh, was fundamentally driven by a family office mm -hmm. and, and now you start even to find uh, PE funds starting to do what I would call venture yeah. investing yeah. certain ones right Yep. And I was a little surprised. Well, who's in, who's putting the money in here? And you realize mm -hmm. I've never heard of them. I have to look right. them up and they're either a family office or a, uh, visa or a PE fund. Right. So it's kind of gotten hodgepodged up here a little bit and all makes it exciting. It, it is still, you know, very hard to raise money. <laughs> 
I don't want to mislead anybody who's my. Yeah, it's not growing on trees. It's not no, easy. And, uh, and to cycle back for a second, uh, you, you better have something people believe is going to commercialize really well and have a plan in place why you are the one who's going to make it commercialize real well. We just went, we just went full circle. We'll go back to the beginning of this conversation and talk about to do it on purpose. You better have a market. You better know how to get it yeah. and make that but, sale. But but you are correct. The world is you know, in twenty years from now it'll be different. What I'm worried about is Michigan will regress because there will not be in, in a certain context the venture Michigan Fund three the legislature current with all the turnovers nobody even remembers who passed it back when. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I should note it was totally bipartisan. I mean, it was co-sponsored by the head of the Republicans and the Democrats in the House and Senate, signed by a Democratic governor, supported later by a Republican governor. And, uh, uh, but uh, I don't think you could, I don't think there's any spirit for that now because there's no sense that we're in the dire economic state. So we are on our own and maybe that's the way it ought to be. Yeah. Well, that's the ideal, uh, but having a little bit of help wouldn't hurt and uh, encouragement, incentive. I am I am I am positively excited about uh, the way I see the angel groups being much more involved in things now. Yep, um, and I am too, and it's growing. Are, not just ours, but the one around the state. All of them. Right, exactly. No, I'm involved I agree. with two of them, but not more all. More groups. Of them. Groups are getting larger. More people getting engaged. That's all very very positive. Um, but Tom, thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate your time, you. and this was uh, as much fun as I thought it was going to be. So, yeah. cool. Thank you. Thank you, anybody. Hopefully, it was helpful to somebody, and uh, great to see you, Skip. Thank you for taking time to listen to It Takes Money. For more of our podcasts, visit slash podcasts or michiganangels.org. Thanks to the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Foundation for making these podcasts possible. And let me leave you with this from John D. Rockefeller. It is a mistake to assume that the possession of money in great abundance brings happiness. Pleasure comes not from the possession of money, but from the ability to do things for others, which brings satisfaction.